Welcome to Shifties, a podcast about restaurants, the people who work in them, two of which are sitting right here in front of you or in front of your ears. My name is Joey. My name is Cold Cut. And we today have a very special guest, probably uh, maybe the most unique guest that we've had on today. The specialist of guests. His name is Sky Upchurch. Yes, that's a real name. Is that his, yeah. That's his birth name too, right? Yeah. Wow. You'll find out more about that later. Rock on, white parents. He talks to us about Buddhism, classic liberal philosophy. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of restaurant stuff, but it's mostly just really fascinating. And so definitely stay tuned for that. Definitely. Definitely. Stay tuned for that. Click that like button. I can't even say that right. Click. Smash that. Smash that smash. like button. You used the wrong verb. It's smash. Smash that like button. This week in Seattle restaurant news, uh, as of, actually, should I say, effective January 1st, 2020, the minimum wage has been raised across Seattle. Now, I'm sure you're thinking, uh, what number was it raised to? Well, it gets a little complicated after that point because we like to differentiate things here in uh, America. So if you're working at a McDonald's or someplace that has over 500 employees, the minimum wage is $16.39, which is uh, pretty good. Like, that seems pretty good. I was making $12.50 when I started working at QFC, uh, whatever ago, and I would have loved to make $16.39. But for the most part, are there any restaurants that would fit that other than McDonald's in Seattle? Um, Red Robin. Yeah. Although they franchises, they got rid of a bunch of their employees a while ago. Anyway, so let's get down to the ones that really matter to us. Can you imagine if you work at the Seattle Red Robin and they're like just above 500? So they just cut half of your staff. <laughs> so you're working at Red Robin with like four people total. Just so they can one's pay the you chef, one's the general manager, a dollar less. one server. <laughs> For companies with fewer than 500 employees, the minimum wage is now 1575. But the minimum wage that really applies to us is the tipped minimum wage, which if you didn't know, there's a separate minimum wage for people who get tips. The total wage has to be equal to that $15.75 at least, including tips. So the new minimum wage for people who work in chains or companies with fewer than 500 employees is $13.50. And that includes me. I work at Portage Bay. They have, I don't know, maybe 75 people. Who knows? But uh, they just bumped up our minimum wage. And uh, they actually like changed some company policies about it, which was really interesting. They raised the tip outs because servers uh, still make the most. And they got that, uh, what is it? Probably a dollar? I don't know. However much it was. I feel like I was making 11.50 when I was at Piccolino's, so that might be an even more substantial raise than I thought it was. I don't know, Joey, have you had this impact on you at all, the the new minimum wage? I do make slightly more money. Slightly. I see the raise in minimum wage uh, applying to restaurant jobs that don't have a tip option, and that's really where its necessity falls in. The difference between 12.50 and 13.50, although theoretically between 30 and 40 dollars a week extrapolated over 48 weeks is a nice chunk of change. Uh, it doesn't You don't see that as much on the day-to-day, uh, especially when the tips that we make drastically dwarf all of this mm-hmm. in comparison. So, I think uh, that's something that my restaurant is definitely trying to deal with by raising the tip out that servers are expected to tip out because, I mean, we've talked about it on the show before, servers make more than pretty much anyone else in the restaurant and like i see what they're trying to do with this raise of minimum wage but i don't know the rules definitely make things complicated for restaurants especially in seattle because you see a bunch of the service charge because you're technically not allowed to split tips even though a lot of places still expect you to and then the service charge you like have to list now what percentage is going to who because technically you can put a service charge and the house takes all of it so you have to kind of list what's going on there and uh it's kind of uh complicated the bigger benefit that i could see would be pushing the country towards a higher minimum wage in general. I was reading a lot about this recently for folks who live in states that apply the federal minimum wage, like Louisiana and other states around there. The federal minimum wage, I believe, is still seven thirty-five, and oh, that man. knocks down to like three twenty-five if you work to tip position. So you're basically making. I was gonna use a combination of swear words, but <laughs> you can make you get nothing. The, you nothing. Get, you get the idea. It's effectively negligible, and so you are entirely dependent on business 
to make an income. And for us, with this high minimum wage, we are dependent on business to make a real swell income. But we'll live if the business isn't there. And some folks uh, really can't. And so this came on the heels of a debate between countries like Australia, which pay their restaurant workers a much higher wage, but tipping is not expected. And at least for me in Seattle, screw that, man. I don't want to make $22 an hour guaranteed. I want to make ridiculous dollars an hour for this not very hard job that we do. Hey, sometimes Um, it's hard. No, it's it's hard and it requires a certain degree of skill and proficiency, but... That is the complicated real conversation, though. It's, I mean, it's... I think it's definitely great that minimum wage is being raised for all of these other jobs. But uh, the conversation around tips minimum wage in Seattle is extremely nuanced. And I definitely don't understand it all myself because that's where you get all of these weird service charge and like, where is all this money going to? And, um, you know, you have guests who are like, is this going to you? And I'm like, I think so, man. I don't know how it works. There's just a lot of layers of complication when you add tips. Well, let me add a few more. Do it. Because it's time for just the tip. Although this week it's going to be a few tips. Under one giant tip umbrella. That's right. Umbrellas have tips too. Yeah. Think about it. The little pointy part. Like the penguin shoots gas out of his umbrella. That's true. Batman. So just a tip for this week. It's going to be server lingo. And this is actually a bit of a rehash from just a tip we did on, I believe, episode one or two. Episode one or two, yeah. But no, none of you listened to that. And if you did, I'm sorry. If you're waiting tables or a bartender, here's what you can do to stand out and make more tips. It's just a tip for tips. Because you got to talk to people. That's most of your job is talking to people. And when you're talking to people, there's this real temptation to say these kind of... uh, Someone might call them classic. I would call them terrible server lines. For example, let's let's start this off with uh, what I consider the worst server line of all time, which is, can I bring you anything to drink besides water? And the Ooh. alternate to that would be, Ooh. can I interest you in something a little bit more fun to drink than water? Also, don't say water if you're at a place where that line is a little bit too cavalier. You just said say, water, though. Can I offer you... A beer or a cocktail or perhaps a nice glass of wine. Yes. Boom. Three things in their head that trigger their taste buds. Right there, motherfuckers. Don't say right besides there. water. It's, it's, it is, uh, cliche is an understatement. It is so overdone and meaningless. Anything that sounds like something that you heard a server say when you were like 12 and then thought, oh, I guess that's what servers say and now I will say it. Don't say that, man. Don't say that. Put some, put some little little nuggets in their minds, you know? Like, like hey, does anybody want a glass of wine? Can I bring you a can I bring you a beer? Would you like a cocktail? Be more Start specific. listing some yeah. things. Get some get some juices flowing in people's minds. Kolka, give me another bad server line. What do you want? How do you say goodbye to a table? How do you say goodbye? No, I meant what server. do you want as in asking for what they want to eat. Oh. Uh, let's go with uh have a nice day. Thanks. Or thanks, have a good one. Right. Here's what you say instead. And this happens to be our Shifty's tagline, which is why we put it in here. Oh, yeah. It's been my privilege to serve you. Bada boom, motherfucker. Bada Drop that check. Boom. As you say, it's been my privilege to serve you. Oh, well, it's my privilege to give you more of my money than I was going to. And the real reason that you want to say these things is because you don't want to sound like a robot who is going through the motions. Because the best servers are the ones who share awesome stuff with you, who invite you into their restaurant. They're excited about the food. They're excited about the experience that you're going to have. And they guide you and share with you the wonders of Red Robin or wherever the hell it is. And if you're like, you want anything to drink besides water? Thanks. Have a nice day. I'll see you later. They're there to facilitate an experience. That's the difference between an order taker and a server. Drinking water had, is not an experience. Let's say you had an actual servant, like you had a butler or something. <laughs> yeah. Would your butler say, all right, see you, have a good one. I'm pretty sure Probably he would say, he would say uh, why do we fall, Mr. Wayne? Exactly. So Think of Alfred. We can get back up again. Be so Alfred can, the so server. So we can pick ourselves up. So we can yes. pick ourselves back up? You know what? I didn't remember. But, but say, yes, yeah, be like Alfred. Be somebody who say, oh, I've prepared the master bedroom. Or something like that, you know? <laughs> Go above and beyond. Prepare the master bedroom just because Master Wayne is home. So you said, what can I get you earlier? Uh, yeah, what can I get you? How can I enhance your evening? 
I will tell you, that's like an 80%, not just hit rate, but wow rate. Mm. Especially if you're working in an establishment that's not fine dining. Dude, how can I enhance your evening? People flip out. Here's another one. If you're carding somebody, instead of saying, can I check your ID? Ma'am, can I verify your credentials? I want to make sure you're professionally qualified to drink here. We only accept professionals. People love it. Love it. You don't want to sound like everybody else. You want to sound like a real person. And uh, you want to you, like make things sound a little spicier. Water, not very spicy. Oh, can I get you a cocktail? Spicy. Let me check your ID. Mmm, not spicy. Let me verify those drinking credentials. Ooh, ooh, well, you, spicy. You made it fun, you mm-hmm. know? And it's now not a normal restaurant experience. Everyone knows, at least in certain cities, okay, I look like I'm under 30. I'm going to have my ID checked. That's their job. And so asking is a formality. But if you make the ask into something engaging, you've now enhanced that dead period of a few seconds, such as transaction, transaction, into something personal. And that, my friends, my listeners, is how you make yourself into a better server. A killer server. Ooh, a killer server. The last thing I would say on this is mean it. And the thing about, oh, can I bring you something besides water? There's nothing to mean there. That doesn't mean anything. You're just you're just saying a thing. But, uh, you know, it's been my privilege to serve you. Mean it when you say it. Don't say things that you don't mean. If, if somebody asks you what the best thing on the menu is, tell them about the thing that you like the most. And people can tell. People can tell when you're just rattling things off because you're that's your job and you've done it a million times before and you're like, here's the specials and la 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 la. I have other things that I could be doing with this time. Oh my gosh, I need to hurry, hurry up and tell me what you want. Uh, people can tell when you do that. But if you really mean it, you can even you can even say have a nice day, but mean it. Like say it in a way that you're like, you know what guys? Yeah, thanks for coming in. And one way you can show you mean it is by changing your diction. Everyone says, have a nice day. But if you say, I hope the rest of your day treats you very well, Mm -hmm. you put thought and intention into changing the phrasing and people can pick up that you put that thought into it. So change up your pacing and diction, change up the words, say something that you haven't heard anybody else say, really mean it, and uh, don't be cliche with it. I don't want to hear, if you're listening to this show, I don't want to hear anybody say, can I bring you something to drink besides water ever again? I don't even want water after that. If you're like, I'd be like, you know what? Take this water away. Take this water away. I'm leaving. That's what I would say to you. But what if I came to you at a pizza shop and said, welcome to pizza town. I am your pizza guide. How may I pizza you? I would just say pizza. I was hoping that they would say that, but they didn't. Oh man. (laughs) But nonetheless, it worked and they loved me and they tipped me a lot. So (laughs) if you said that and I said pizza, no matter what you brought me, I would be happy. Be like, well, this is pizza. I did ask for this. <laughs> uh. All right, here's our interview with Sky Upchurch. Uh... It's going to be way different than what we just talked it's about. It's going to be so way different than what we just talked about. <laughs> All right, guys, so we are here with Sky Upchurch. And no, I didn't make that name up. Sky is a friend of mine. We met through DJing. We worked uh, for a company called Sounds Unlimited. We DJ weddings and parties. I have left the company. Sky still works there. But Sky is also a bartender here at the Red Lion Inn. What's the name of this restaurant? Is uh, Jonah's Restaurant. Jonah's Restaurant. Jonah's. Is that uh, the name of the Red Lion himself, or is that a different lion? <laughs> um, actually, we're separate from the hotel. You know, huh. the, the hotel's its own thing, and we're our own thing, but we work together in tandem. You know, So uh, I can't really pull up uh, people's hotel room numbers or anything, but I can take somebody's ho- I can put something on their hotel room. Hmm. You know, so I don't have access to the information, but I can send the information, and they have it all and everything. Do people come in here who are not staying at the hotel? Yes. Uh, I have some regulars that come in most days. Sweet. And uh, there are some older gentlemen um, who, uh, who are fun, have some uh, very interesting stories and opinions. And uh, really, it's, it's some of the easiest bartending. I sit there and I listen to them. You know, they, like I said, they're older. Two of them are in their 70s. And uh, one of them still has a job. And like he's a very su- a successful sales guy. And... Um, he, he talks about all this stuff that he's had to do. Another one's a very big uh, car enthusiast. Right now he's in Arizona, seeing a big car show, and then he's going to California to, to see uh, his ex-girlfriend for the first time in 15 years. Interesting story right there, right? What? So, uh, yeah, the beginning of my day starts off with a lot of it listening, you know? Uh, and then as we get lo- uh, farther into the night, I end up doing a lot more talking. Fair enough. 
So what's uh, what's the deal with Jonah's restaurant? I see you got a big fish thing uh, on whale. the ceiling. A yeah. huge metallic fish sculpture. It's a whale. It's a, he, like the Bible. Yeah, like Jonah and the whale, Jonah's restaurant. Uh, okay, so Jonah is not at all a lion. No, yeah. It has to do with the whale, and that, that's, that's the whale up above us. Oh, I just put that together. <laughs> so, cool. are, are there more parallels, or is that kind of it? That's just pretty Jonah, much you it. got a whale. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was really hoping for some Bible-themed cocktails. Oh, God, like, no. Uh, I don't know, the... Who's the person that spikes the guy guy's head onto the ground? I can't even remember. I, I don't know. I'm not that into Christianity. One of the judges. <laughs> well, Sky is a bartender, which means he's a dealer in sinful things. That's true. Uh, hey, Jesus dealt and Jesus turned that stuff into wine. So presumably you're not a Christian there, but what you might be... I'm just kidding. You could be a Christian bartender, but I know you're not. I know what you are instead is a Buddhist yes. of all things. So can you explain how you became a Buddhism, and then how that affects your daily life and what you just kind of change on the day-to-day because of that belief? Sure. Um, so I've been a practicing Buddhist for quite a long, long time now. Uh, let's see, I'm 32. It has been 15 years. Whoa. Um, and I found Buddhism of all places in Montana. You know, all right. <laughs> as, a, uh, uh, as a teenager, I wasn't that great of a person. I got into a lot of drugs and then fighting. And uh, well, I've talked to you about the Russian scam we used to run. Um, you know, and as, as, as a teenager, I did all these bad things. My parents didn't know what to do with me. So they shipped me off to a, uh, well, I guess drove me off to a, um, a ranch in Montana. Uh, it was kind of a two-part thing. First part with the school, and second part with the ranch. It's called Spring Creek Lodge Academy, and then the ranch was called Cam- Camas Prairie Ranch. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I didn't have a lot to do out in Montana. You know, it's just uh, outside of like taking care of the ranch and doing schoolwork. When I had free time, it was mainly just reading. I wasn't allowed to take my guitar, no video games, nothing Whoa. that like I could associate with myself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I cut the whole no point. Guitar. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, you had to earn that back by reaching level four. Oh, it was it was really bad. Whoa. It was really bad. Uh, the place is shut down now due to child abuse. Okay. You know? oh. So uh, it, it was a pretty bad situation. But while I was out there, I asked my dad and my mom to send me a bunch of uh, religious books because uh, I didn't really grow up with much religion, you know? Um, so there was, was the school religious or did you kind well, of they were definitely religious. But not... Uh, not they the were, kind of religion uh, that you eventually came to. No, um, they they were Mormon, and uh, they were kind of culty about it. They were. Uh, we had these seminars that we went to, and if you do, did well at the seminar, then you advanced a level. And inside the seminars, a lot of like religious brainwashing. It, it was a real crazy situation, man. Are your parents Mormon? No. They just sent you to a Mormon camp. Yeah, <laughs> so they were like desperate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like, we've run out of options. My buddy talked about this place that uh, worked for his daughter, so we're going to try our, and throw our son at it. You know? And uh, um, I did not do well at this school. Uh, I did like uh, my, scholastically, I did very well, and uh, I changed my grades around and everything. But I never got above level three, and there's like six or seven levels or something. Um, That's very Mormon. When do you get the underwear? Levels of achievement. The underwear. (laughs) Mormon underwear? Is that level six? Oh, God. I I don't know. I never got my underwear. Ah. (laughs) Um, Another thing that they did, too, while uh, while I was there is uh, I had to shave off all my beard and hair and... uh, uh, if you look me up on Facebook, you'll see there's an old picture of me where I had long black hair and a really ra- shaggy, ragged beard. That's from when I was 17. I had to shave all that off when I got to Montana because, once again, they didn't want you to have your old personality with you. That was considered uh, non-working. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So really breaking you down and building you back up in the body of Mormon Jesus. Yeah. No, it was it was bad and. Uh, um, and when I was doing these seminars, they were just throwing God, higher power, uh, you know, you got to have faith, got to let go, all these type of uh, cult of personality type BS, you know. And um, I'd already been a little versed in psychology, so I kind of knew what was going on and I was pushing against it, which got me in a lot of trouble all the time, you know. But I knew I was there to do school. I was there to learn. And so once I got finished school and got the good grades, my parents pulled me out of it. You know, but I was there for two years to do this rise. And, wow. Uh, 
Um, so in those two years, I just read a whole bunch of books uh, on religion and tried to figure out where I wanted to go. And one thing I really uh, liked was Hinduism. Uh, Hinduism was, is a great religion, lots of peace, lots of understanding. I love the concept of reincarnation. It has karma and dharma. But there was there's so much um, mythos to uh, Hinduism. As there is with most religions, there's even Buddhism has mythos as well, but, but I don't really follow closely to the mythos. What do you um, mean by mythos? So by mythos, I mean like Jesus turning water into wine. It's, it's mythos. We don't have any evidence that he did that. We do have evidence that there was probably a Jesus back then and he mm -hmm. was a great spiritual leader. You know, what he did and these fantastical miracles that he does, we, we call them mythos. You know, and uh, those that believe in the religion, they believe the mythos to be true. So it's know? almost like like religious versions of like King Arthur or yeah, yeah. Hercules or whatever. You know, and it isn't to say that um, it isn't true. It's just uh, there's people who believe and people who don't. And the proper term for something that is believed by some and not believed by others is a mythos. Um, and I believe Buddha, uh, well, Siddhartha was his name, um, who became the first Buddha. I believe uh, uh, he was a man and uh, he really taught great things, but I don't believe that he put a, uh, a, a, a arrow through seven iron bells. You know? mm. And that, that's one of the mythos of Siddhartha, is that he shot an arrow and it went through seven iron bells. Um, I don't know the whole story on that, it's, uh, uh, it's, I don't believe it. Um, mm. You know, but uh, yeah, that's kind of what got me away from Hinduism and into uh, Buddhism, that Buddhism was more about the uh, the way of life, the philosophy. Buddha himself, uh, when I, I, I use Siddhartha and Buddha interchangeably, I, I wanna um, clarify something. Buddha doesn't, isn't a name and uh, or anything like that. It isn't the, the leader of the religion. Everybody who becomes enlightened becomes the Buddha because the Buddha means enlightened one. And so Siddhartha Gautama was the first Buddha. And so many, t but when people say Buddha, they often refer, are meaning him. Um, is he the one that you see big statues of everywhere? Yes, but he, he, isn't, he isn't how China depicts him. China is the one that made him the big fat Buddha with the big earlobes and happy and all that. Um, because that's, that's actually uh, a symbology, it's, real, it's metaphor. Uh, at the time that Siddhartha was coming up in, in that uh, area, they, they valued being fat to be wealthy and big earlobes to be happy. Hmm. You know, so they, they wanted to show him to be wealthy with knowledge and wisdom and happy. So all these old Chinese statues of Buddha has him very fat with uh, big earlobes to show that. But the actual uh, Siddhartha was a, uh, a Hindu prince and, and he was actually very skinny uh, and from India. Yeah, so uh, it, he looks so much different than most people envision him to be. Kind of like how Christian yes, Jesus, no, absolutely. you know, blue eyes, long, flowy hair is, mm -hmm. is nonsense too. That, that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, so, and so is that why you, you rub Buddha's belly for good luck? Yes, yes, actually, <laughs> yes. You know, because uh, many things in China are good luck charms, and a Buddha was a good luck charm. Um, I even have a few at home. You know, I, I know Buddha to be a skinny guy, but I still like having like the uh, the traveling Buddha, which can only be given to you by a friend. You know, it's kind of its thing. Is it, it travels around because it's always being gifted. Hmm. You know? And uh, but it's a it's a symbol of good luck, and I rub its belly every now and again. And it's, <laughs> it's just it's part of the things. Um, yeah. So when you came back, sorry, what were you saying? So uh, you did all this reading. What well, what turned you on? And you and you liked Hinduism, but you didn't like the mythos. So was Buddhism the natural conclusion of that because it was Hinduism without all of the lore, so to speak? Yes, in, in a way, it, in, um, it took a lot of uh, the basic teachings of Hinduism and brought it to the forefront and uh, emphasized and developed it into more. Um, Buddhism is first and foremost a religion of philosophy. Uh, it's all about how can I live my happiest life? And uh, one of the things that everybody kind of took takes from Buddhism, I just had a classing glance, is being able to be happy with nothing. You know, it's the whole thing of Buddhists are uh, minimalistic and don't want anything. And um, that's, 
that's right and wrong at the same time. Uh, yes, it's being happy with nothing, but it's more of a being happy irregardless of what happens in life. You know, so it's, it, it's not a striving for having nothing. It's making sure that your material your material possessions don't affect your happiness. So um, I can. I can want some ice cream. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. But don't allow the uh, uh, the getting it or not getting it to affect whether I'm happy and content. Or, you know? mm. And so uh, it, it's it's a mindset, and that's really what drew me. And I, I kind of needed something like that while in the program, a way to be happy regard, regardless of this situation that I'm in. You know, since I was I was stuck there, and instead of having like walls and guns or anything, they were just out in the middle of nowhere. And if you tried to run, you'd find yourself miles and miles and miles away from anything. Even our, our neighbor was about two miles away from us, and let alone the town. You know? <laughs> and so they, they just knew if you ran away, well, you'll be back eventually. Mm. You know? And they sent people out there to look for you in case you got injured and can't, can't go anywhere. And there were a few people who tried to run while out there. Wow. I never saw anybody get away. Because um, it's... it's you know, it's like having a, a jail on an island in the middle of the ocean. Where are you going to go? <laughs> you know? You, by the time you finished your two years there, mm-hmm. were you solidly a Buddhist? Or was, was that just kind of the beginning? Or, or like, was that much a more, much more concrete decision by the time you so, got out of there? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, Buddhism is a journey, you know, the, the idea of being solidly a Buddhist and all this, right? So you are solidly a Buddhist just the moment you take a step on the path. Uh, because uh, you don't just decide to be a Buddhist and suddenly material doesn't matter to you, you're always happy, uh, content, nothing can rattle you. That, it doesn't happen like that. It's mm-hmm. a progress, it's a journey. You learn how to be more okay with things. You learn down the road how to be content with, without anything. You know, it's uh, uh, today, and I, 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 like I said, I've been doing it for 15 years, and there's still moments where I, I find myself to be weak to my emotions or to my desires or whatever it is. And I'm, I'm painting in very broad strokes here because that's, that's what Buddhism's about. It doesn't matter what the desire is, be content without it. You know? and, uh, and there's a lot of different flavors of desires out there. You know, it doesn't just mean one, two, three, or, or A, B, or C. You know, it's all of the desires. Be content without them, and you'll be happy. Um, in fact, uh, uh, I've been going around lately and telling people, I know the key to happiness. You know? and, uh, and it's a very simple thing, but it isn't easy. And it's learning to love the negatives. Because if you love the negatives in life, you can never be unhappy. It's, there's only negatives and positives and, and neutrals in between. If you can learn to love the stuff that's not so great, then of course you're going to learn love and be happy with the stuff that is great. You know? Well, guys, that's the end of the Shifty Show. We answered <laughs> happiness. Goodbye, everybody. Just kidding. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. So that, and it clearly colors your personality. I mean, I know you, and you are one of the happiest and most genuine people that I know. I appreciate uh, that, man. Of course. We, we just we just cheers with water here. Cheers indeed. <laughs> All right, so I want to switch over to a little bit more of a practical question, um, or at least a service industry podcast-related question. Yeah. Um, and this is ironic because most bartenders aren't happy people. <laughs> oh, that's no. true. That's true. I've worked in a lot of bars, and, and I can say that uh, uh, you know that most bars kind of have a, a Cheers atmosphere. Have you guys watched Cheers? Oh yeah. Cheers is the, the the sad clown of television. You know, and I didn't realize that until I saw this one scene where Norm's getting kicked out of the bar, <laughs> and but he's crying and bawling, and he's like throwing a temper tantrum on the couch, you know, begging him not to kick him out. It's a really sad scene, right? But there's a laugh track over it. Yeah, and it's supposed to be funny to watch this guy just losing his crap over not being able to go to the bar uh-huh. anymore. You know, and it really is a, a sad clown of television. I kind of, after I saw that, I kind of started seeing it in most bars. You know, your regulars, regulars, everybody's laughing and having a good time, but underneath it, you can kind of see the melancholy and the the, the somberness in the room because, well, everybody's there to drink, and yeah. you know, if you're there to drink in excess, you're either there to celebrate. Or you're there because uh, you got something that you're trying not to think about. Well, Buddha age Christ, that was deep. Um, so, specific. <laughs> did you like that one? Yeah, I did. So, being in a hotel bar. Yeah. I've always wondered, 
Is there just more scandal that goes on? Like, do you see affairs happening in this bar? Do you um, do people come down here and like leave room keys on the table or or beyond the scandal? Mm-hmm. What's generally different about a hotel bar, especially in a city of Bellevue, which yeah. is this is a nice town, you know? Mm-hmm. What do you see around? So there's there's some interesting things about this hotel and this bar in particular. We are the cheapest hotel and bar in downtown Bellevue, <laughs> you know? so that gets a certain crowd in Bellevue. You know, everything like it costs about sixty to seventy dollars a night here. Everywhere else is like one twenty to two hundred a night. So it's a pretty steep difference between this hotel and literally all the other ho- hotels in downtown Bellevue. It's a great uh, deal. Not to throw an advertisement out there or anything, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, that attracts people looking for deals or people who can't afford the other. So it's a little different on that. And then on top of it, we are a business class hotel. So we get the people who are being sent out that their companies don't want to spend much money on mm. it. Because yeah. uh, Bellevue is very expensive. Yeah. If you, if you aren't in Seattle and you somehow listen to this podcast, Bellevue is the uh, very fancy older brother who got into the good school, whereas yeah. Seattle is kind of the long-haired kid with a shitty guitar in this in this family <laughs> dynamic. Yeah. Play, play, playing on the street. Yeah. You know, street performer. Seattle's <laughs> the street performer. It is. Um, I, I, I've always uh, described Bellevue as being... Metropolis, you know, Superman's Metropolis, you know, or what I thought the future would look like. Because Microsoft has such an influence here that everything looks sleek and uh, futuristic and uh, technologically designed. You know, even the skyscrapers, they're very compact together and sleek. And, and uh, uh, yeah, it's very different from the rest of the greater Seattle area. It's- okay, so all of those people don't go to this hotel or bar. Yeah, but who does? So you get the business class people who yeah. are who are lower rung, who can't, afford, mm-hmm. who aren't worth the nicer hotel rooms. Yeah, and what's really cool about that though is I end up meeting a lot of um, Republicans from the rest of the U.S. Uh, and uh, and being from Seattle, we pretty much immerse ourselves in liberal you know, ideology. You know, there's not a, conservatives and Republicans, libertarians are around, but they're not very numerous. And so it's not an ideology we get to really interact with much. Mm-hmm. And so being able to interact with, uh, uh, with essentially the other ideology of our country more lets me see more what they're like. You know, see, uh, uh, see how really we're all the same. It's just where we, we listen to one red or blue rhetoric, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I've I found that uh, everybody is anti-war. You know, there's there's some people who back up Trump, uh, but they still don't want to go to war. You know, they say, well, if Trump thinks we should, then I guess we should, but I don't like it. You know, and that, that that's one thing that's like we all have in common, regardless of which side you claim. And um, and that's that's what I notice more than anything else is how much more we have in common than we don't have in common. Um, And what's what's really interesting too, and I get this a lot, um, my appearance comes across as very trendy, hip, and liberal, but it's actually very conservative stuff and traditional stuff like uh, uh, these beads. They're very, I, I see people wearing them all the time and I was like, nice malas, man. Like, is that what they're called? These are Buddhist prayer beads. Hmm. You know, they, you, these are a religious you, thing that I wear. For the listeners, you're wearing a wristband. It looks like you're wearing five wristbands. Um, so so uh, this, one, this one's a 108 bead, bead uh, uh, okay. mala. Um, they're called malas? Yeah, they're called malas. So as you can see, it's much bigger than, than it yeah, seems. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just took it out. It's, it's kind of necklace size, but you wrap it around the wrist a few times. Hmm. It looks dope. Um, and so uh, I use these for meditation. I use them to remind myself to always be Buddhist and to remember my remember to uh, keep my emotions in check. That's, I totally have one of those and had no clue what it was until right now. So here you go. There, there's me. I'm the uh, typical Seattleite. That's fascinating. You know, 108 beads. What, what are the beads? You count them as you meditate. And there's a, uh, there's a few different ones. There's 108, there's 16, 
and uh, there's, there's some other, I don't know all the numbers off the top. Of my so head. Are, are you just counting to get into a meditative yeah. trance? Okay. Yeah, it's one. It's one method. Um, I generally do the. Um, well, I, I imagine water starting from the top and then slowly submerging myself under. When I'm when, when I'm fully in the trance, I'm just like fully submerged in the waters of meditation. Mm-hmm. Is kind of how I, I envision it. Um, but sometimes I like to use the beads instead and uh, just count them off and kind of like counting sheep or counting yeah. down to lift off. So it's yeah. literally just one. T- it's not yeah. like a rosary where you say a different prayer for each. No, yeah, it's that's... literally counting. I'm sure some people have different things that they do. That's another thing about Buddhism. It's about the self. And so there's no right way, wrong path. It's all about how it works for you to get there. And so whereas I count them, someone else might have different koans that they uh, say to themselves that they touch each one. Uh, it's uh, it's really up to the individual. It's a very individualistic yeah. uh, uh, religion. Like the Zodiac Killer, he was a Buddhist. Oh, thank I'm, you. I'm <laughs> that was disrespectful. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so you, oh, you were mentioning about your look. You know, you're actually wearing conservative things because you mm-hmm. have, you know, religious The hairstyle is a traditional um, uh, Viking hairstyle that I do, uh, which I got the side fades, and I'm wearing it in a pot- ponytail right now. I usually braid it, mm-hmm. you know, in, in traditional uh, uh, Norse uh, style. Um, I'm also looking into starting to wear coal, which coal is K-O-H-L. Um, Norsemen used the word, it, it kind of comes across as eyeliner, so I'm still kind of iffy about it, mm-hmm. you know? Uh-huh. But uh, it was something that Norsemen used to wear a lot because it helped with keeping things out of their eyes, and it was a very part of, a very big part of the culture. If you've ever watched uh, the show Vikings, Vikings, Floki wears coal, mm-hmm. you know? And it comes, like I said, it comes across as eyeliner, but that was a very common thing for Norsemen. And, I, and notice I say Norsemen and not Vikings, because Viking is a verb, and it means to go raiding. You know, hmm. and so what we when we call them Vikings, we're actually calling them ratings. Yeah. You know? huh. um, and so they they called themselves Norsemen, or in, I don't know what the word was in in their own language because we don't really have the language anymore. Closest language to it is Icelandic, um, but uh, um, they they didn't they called themselves Norsemen, not Vikings. And then the people that would go raiding would say, "Oh, I'm going Viking." You know? uh. Wow. So if you if you wore the coal, would mm-hmm. you lose the fake glasses? I don't know. I, I did. I, I might double. <laughs> I didn't even notice those were fake glasses. <laughs> uh, I got the idea from uh, um, Phil Silvers, which uh, a guy way before our time. He played Sergeant Belko uh, back in the 1960s, I believe. And um, I was watching an episode of the Carson Show, um, and he's interviewing uh, Phil Silvers, and this is a man who is always wearing glasses with everything he does. And while they're talking, suddenly Carson cuts in. He goes, wait a minute, are those glasses fake? He goes, yeah, no, they're, they're 100% fake. I've, uh, <laughs> I just started wearing them one day, and I like how they look. And they just laugh like crazy. And I was like, I want to start doing that. And then uh, EK, you remember EK? Yeah. EK found these at one of his shows, and he said, hey, I think these will look good on you. And he just gave them to me. And I liked how they look, and now I wear them. And um, I, I like pointing out that they're fake to people. Some of them are like, "Man, those frames are awesome." They think they're fake, you know. And it always gets a laugh, or, you know. So wow. it's just a goofy thing I like to wear. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you touched on this earlier, but Sky, mm-hmm. I know you define yourself as a libertarian, essentially. Liberal. Liberal. You're li- liberal? You're not yeah. a libertarian? No, I find myself as like a liberal, like a true freedom-based liberal. Okay, like a... Uh, Why don't John Stewart Unpack know? that a little bit. Yeah, yeah let's, 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 let's uh, define it a little bit more. Um, you know, I really believe in freedom, and I believe in the whole uh, my freedoms end where your nose begins type situation. Um, I don't like the, uh, the government passing laws to you say protect where me from your myself. Nose begins? Yeah, where your nose begins. That's awesome. That's yeah, my, my freedom's in where your nose begins. You know, <laughs> so I can sit here and swing my fists and as long as you know nobody's around the fists, then I'm free to do that. But the moment <laughs> somebody's face is anywhere near the trajectory of my face, my fists, that's no longer cool. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I don't like it when the government tries to pass laws to protect me from myself. I believe we should be allowed to make mistakes, and if that mistake leads to my death, well, there it is. You know, I have no one to blame but myself, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be up to the government to save me from making those type of mistakes. Um, mistakes are very important to learning, and I think that's a concept getting lost in today's world, that it's, it's okay to fail, it's okay to make mistakes, because that's how we learn. You never learn a lesson when you do it right. Yeah, you know, there's no lesson in doing things the correct We've way. We've learned a lot of lessons about podcasting. When 
<laughs> yeah, but it, it's important. It's so important. And that was probably the biggest step that I felt I took in, in Buddhism is learning to love failing, you know? And now now I love it. Like, uh, I absolutely love it because I know now I can get some feedback. And the next time I go at it, I can attack it from a different angle and I'm going to be better. You know, it's, it's one of the things that have brought me where I am in Sounds Unlimited as a 60% deaf DJ. You know, there's, there's so many things that uh, I had a hard time getting into and hearing and understanding when I first got into EQing was just not even on the table. Now I feel like I can EQ things a bit and it's because I've asked people to be real with me. You know, mm. if, if, if I'm doing something bad, tell me, Sky, that's garbage. You know, because <laughs> that helps me. That helps me. And uh, you know what doesn't help me? Sky, that was amazing. That doesn't help. That feels good, but it doesn't help me. I don't know what to do with that. That's just a compliment. You know? So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that kind of encapsulates my opinions on uh, liber liberalism. There's a lot of liberalism today that's becoming more regressive and forgetting about the freedom part, the, the, the root word of liberalism, which is liber liberal, right. you know, well, let me, liberty. Let me ask some clarifying questions then, because mm -hmm. I, I have like a litmus test questions for this. Okay. Uh, should people be allowed to marry their cousins? Yes. See, I consider that a very libertarian yeah, well. ideology. <laughs> because now, but I think you're defining classical liberal in what mo how modern people would define a libertarian. Okay. Um, simply because we, we look at, the, we, everyone in America, in my opinion, looks at this on the wrong scale. Political ideologies are defined by levels of government control. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much it. Libertarians are very, very low on the government control. Mm -hmm. Conservatives are way, way higher, and liberals are a little bit higher than them. Cur currently, in terms of what mo like the consensus philosophy is mm -hmm. among those parties, if there is one. Um, and so that's what I consider to be a libertarian. However, classical liberal ideas, mm -hmm. for sure, underspell libertarianism. Or I think, um, if, you, if you allow me to um, interject yeah, a little bit... Um, there's, there's a difference between the liberal and the libertarianism, and it depends on what you're talking about, social policies or talking about uh, business policies. You know, libertarians tend to be very pro-business, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm not very pro-business. I, mm -hmm. I, I believe businesses become corrupt eventually. There's, uh, power, um, money is power, and power corrupts absolutely. Right. You know? Um, and so I, I think that the government needs to regulate business. Uh, I don't think the government should control the means of production, you know, which is what separates me from a communist and so forth. But I do believe that they need to tell businesses what they need to do. Let's say, hey, you need to pay them at least this much because we've decided that the economy requires this this much in order to live a standard life. You know, um, they they need to tell uh, businesses your uh, environmental awareness need to be at this standard because we've we've come to understand that if it's any higher, we have a negative uh, impact on the environment around us and it could make us difficult for us to continue living um, you know, in, in this. Um, and so it's uh, stuff like that. I do, uh, that's where I start to differ from, I think, a lot of libertarians sure. is they, they don't want to see that regulation on, on uh, the companies. I don't like much regulation on a market, though, and I think there's a difference between the companies and the corporations and the actual market. Sure. Can you flesh that out a bit? Yeah, uh, the the market is when the uh, consumer gets uh, uh, put uh, added in, and the market is the fluctuation of prices. You know, going up, going down, depending on uh, the supply and demand. And I don't think the government should have any any say in that. You know, that should be purely based on what the people are willing to pay and uh, um, and what the companies want to sell it for. You know, um, now the, the downside is that is we're kind of seeing it. People have a tendency to buy convenience over uh, intelligence, mm. you know, or I shouldn't say educated uh, uh, buying, mm. you know, because um, intelligent people can buy things out of convenience. Um, but some people will go in and they'll get really educated on the product and figure out what's the best bang for my buck and what's actually a, a fair price for it and what isn't. Other people will go, okay, this car dealership is like 10 minutes away from my house. I'm just going to buy something there. Um, and. Uh, um, I think we need to let people make those mistakes. Cause mm. Once again, learning from mistakes. You know, um, but obviously, the moralistic person would argue that the government should should protect us from the companies trying to put wool over our eyes and, and give us bad prices. So I, I can see both sides of the argument, but I do lean on the side of don't control the market. Okay, that, that that's a very good explanation. So uh, that's going to lead into uh, our next <laughs> section here. Um, 
we've been touching upon the subject that I'm about to talk about for a while, but we have a segment, Sky. It's called okay. No Politics on our podcast. And here's how this works. We'll bring up one specific political topic. Mm-hmm. We'll roundtable it. And then at any point, any one of us can say no politics, and we're done. Conversation ends. Okay. I'm not going to do that to you for a while because you're really interesting. But I might. <laughs> Who knows? All right. So, Sky. Yeah. You once told me the most radical thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From anybody ever. You knew this was coming. So, you once pitched to me an idea mm-hmm. where the economy... Yeah. Is not founded upon monetary currency, mm-hmm. but rather years of life. Yeah. And specifically that uh, the government provides the necessary services for life mm-hmm. for anyone who's a contributing member of society, and that's how you get paid. Mm-hmm. Go. Okay. Yeah, you know, it, it seems like a natural uh, progression to me. Um, eventually, the, the means for production become given. Uh, a great example is, is a sci-fi one, but it's Star Trek. And in that one, you just put this little cube and, into, a, uh, into a device and suddenly you had a full meal. You know? And it was able to re, uh, uh, recycle any organic matter into any other organic thing. You know? And saying that that's a possibility and we can get there eventually, it means that materialism, um, money for, for objects and, and product won't really be a thing because you can turn anything into anything as long as it's in the in the same realm of uh, uh, chemicals and elements in it you know so what becomes the next currency what do we what do we barter with then and I, I believe that's that's our time on on earth and I believe that uh, it's even it, where it sounds like at, at face value kind of unmoralistic and callous to living um, to say well things can die and even though we have the uh, the ability to prolong um, indefinitely we should allow things to die I, I do believe in the natural order and things and I think that a currency sh- um, for us should be being able to live outside the natural order and continue and persist and as long as you're uh, uh, you're contributing because we need we need contributors and we can't just uh keep everybody alive and nobody's doing anything, otherwise nothing gets done, and what happens when the machines break down, you know? Mm -hmm. So there needs to be... Other machines will fix the machines. For better or for worse. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so there needs to be some sort of urgency for that keep people working, but we also need to give people freedom of choice. So uh, I think I mentioned to you letting people get that full realm of medical care until 30. And then after 30, you know, you've had 30 years to experience life. And if at that point you just want to allow yourself to die from natural causes, whatever may come, you could live another 40. We have a natural lifespan of 70 years, you know? And so it's just, but it's just at that point that if you got cancer, the government goes, well, you haven't been contributing. So um, this is the natural way you die. You know, and and cancer is the natural way we die. For uh, for those who don't know, uh, cancer is caused by a cell doing the wrong thing, and the cell doesn't do the wrong thing because you smoke cigarettes. The cell does the wrong thing because the smoke is stressful, and and while it's stressed out, it it makes a mistake. You know, just like you might as a person, while you're stressed, you might make a small mistake. Except the small small mistake in the body turns into bigger things, and then it replicates. Now you got two cells with the wrong instructions. Then you keeps going and going. Now have a tumor you know it is the natural way we die and if you live long enough you will get cancer that's that's the way it is our bodies are not perfect they all make mistakes and uh, eventually live long enough some for some people that live long enough is 150 you know for some people that live long enough is 30 you know it, it changes for all of us when we make that mistake but if you live long enough you will get cancer um, and curing cancer means making ourselves perfect that they will never make a mistake, which means no aging, which means no defects in the body. Um, it means no dying, because there's no deteriorate, deterioration. You know, they're, uh, they're just perfect, and they continue doing it at the perfect level and never making mistakes. You know? So uh, if we can cure cancer, then we can make anybody live forever, and that's when we need to start saying, okay, instead uh, of money, let's do the, the uh, lifespan economy. So let me ask you some policy specifics, like yeah. I would too. You know, I'm I'm a Jake Tapper right now. Mm-hmm. You're on my debate stage, unlike Andrew Yang last night. Um, right, bummed about that. We'll talk about that later, guy. But uh, so, do you have until thirty to be a productive member of the workforce? Like, let's say 
you just, you know, jerk around until you're 29 and then you start contributing. Do you start, are you, are you back in the system provided that you, you keep you're, working? You're kind of always something? in the system. You know, it's just a matter of, uh, it's like always having a bank account, but for the f if you don't do anything uh, to contribute or productive for the first 30 uh, years of your life, then you don't put anything in your bank account. But mm -hmm. if you do, if you do something productive and when you're 15 and, uh, uh, and you keep doing it for a while and you earn a couple years of extra life or, or an organ or however it does, I don't have the specifics in that because you need the technology to know how you're going to, uh, uh, divvy it up mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm not going to get into the specifics of that but it's more of you get whatever we decide is the currency and then it just stays there and then when you hit 30 you have this credit we'll call it and say you get cancer at 35 you know well you have that credit from when you when you helped out when you were 15 and you can use it you know it, it's not like it disappears because you waited but What's you can time? also keep earning it right yeah you, you can keep earning it and you can decide at 30 now I want to start earning my life you know and because it's not like you die boom 30 hits and now you're dead you know <laughs> you, you still potentially have 40 years where you could not get cancer or any injuries you know or anything if you if some people do that yeah. you know uh, it's, it's not likely that you'll never get sick in those, those uh, uh, 40 years but it's a possibility um, how, so is this credit that you have is there a value for it or do you just have it or don't have it you either have it or you don't i mean what, what's what's value when you don't have a so let's say i get I, let's say i get cancer at 35 mm -hmm. and then they're like beep boop beep science and then i get better and then i get cancer again at mm -hmm. 40 did i use my credit curing my own cancer at 35 and now i'm screwed or do I just have it because I've been contributing? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's a um, it's a keep you alive type situation. You know, like why why if you break an arm or something, they'll still put your arm back in place. It, it's it's not a big deal. You're not mm -hmm. gonna die from a broken arm. You know, but it's the keeping you alive and the resources we have to invest in keeping you alive and how much you've given back. You know, it's kind of like a, a club. You're allowed to stay in the club as long as you're doing things for the club. But the moment you stop helping the club and contributing and doing your part to be part of the club, mm -hmm. the club doesn't help you out. Mm -hmm. So it's not really the cr the issue of credit doesn't become an issue until you decide to stop contributing. Right? Yeah. As long as you are contributing, you're forever in the system. The system is like the current medical system, basically. Yeah. It's, particip it's participatory like that. Um, so how do you buy things? Uh, like if I want a new TV. Mm -hmm. It's just there. You know, because we're, we're all contributing and it's all it's all available. And it, we'll probably instead of having stores because stores are, are capitalist thing, we right. you, you probably call the company that makes the TVs, ask for one, and they'll deliver it to you. You know, we're kind of we're moving into a delivery based economy anyways, and mm -hmm. so it makes sense that in the future we don't go to stores to buy electronics. We call the electronic company and they bring it to you. What about if I want a yacht? Like, do you have yacht people? Sure. I mean, uh, no, let's see. Like that's that's kind of one thing I've because I think I've actually thought about this a lot, Scott. Mm -hmm. uh, is you inherently would have to have anti-capitalist society, right? Like the you you couldn't you probably couldn't be like, hey, can I have fifteen TVs, TV company, right? Mm -hmm. Because more than likely the labor is isn't for excess ownership, right? Like, that's not what it's contributing towards. The mm -hmm. people who make the TVs aren't banking on everyone ordering 15 TVs, mm -hmm. right? So that's, that would be the main thing I would wonder about is how do you limit the desire for so more possession? I, I don't think it's about the limit, you know? And I think rather what we'll see is people are making things that they're passionate about, you know? And so uh, would we have these giant yachts is anybody passionate about yacht making? You know, and, I'm, and there are, there are, mm -hmm. um, but it's the stuff that there aren't people passionate about making, there just won't be, you know, and nobody will ask for it because nobody's passionate enough to make it, hmm. you know, and nobody uh, wants yeah. it enough to say, I'll just go make it. So it'll correct for itself because there just won't be, yeah. there won't be yachts. So I have a question then. We make this podcast. Yeah. Uh, and I think like 40 people listened to our okay. last episode. Mm -hmm. If we were in this society, mm -hmm. either making the podcast would count as contributing or it wouldn't count as contributing. Mm -hmm. And if it does count as contributing, I would way rather make a podcast than mm -hmm. work in a factory and make yeah. cars, which is much more important to society working. Mm -hmm. And when you get rid of capitalism, I don't know about the whole economics of capitalism, mm -hmm. but capitalism does allow people to go, I'm going to quit my job and uh, try to be a creative genius. Mm -hmm. 
and it's weeded out by what's good or what's bad. Mm -hmm. But so how would you suss out the value or contribution of people who said, okay, well, I want to contribute, but I want to do it by making a podcast that mm -hmm. probably no one's going to listen to. Wouldn't everybody just do that instead of working hard at a different job? Well, not everybody's an entertainer. You know, I know many people who would prefer to be a carpenter or uh, somebody who, who actually loves being a garbage man. You know, there's, there's the, what this uh, idea is definitely reliant on is the, the diversity and differences between individual human to human. You know, we all have uh, um, passions and things we want to do. And for most of us, we're not, we're not able to pursue our passions and go after them because we need to make money. You know, um, in, a, in a society like this, where uh, survival is guaranteed, um, I would say that entertainment and whether it's contributing or not is going to be based on uh, um, that there's more people listening than there are producing it. You know, that's that's what just I mean, just basic off the top of my head. That's what I would say. Mm. You know, so if it's only you two producing it and 40 people are uh, uh, are listening, I would say you're contributing. For those 40 people, you're providing a source of entertainment. You know, and we can't we can't say that the entertainment for these 40 people is uh, isn't as important as the entertainment for these thousands of people because we're saying all life is equal. You know, in this regard, it's either you're contributing or you're not, and uh, you get you, you continue living or you don't. You know, we're not saying you know, uh, this person deserves better treatment because they can pay more. We're we're saying everybody gets the same treatment. All life is equal. It's all worth the same. You know, and so with with an inter with an entertainment system like that, like I said, you don't say the uh, the entertainment value for this is more or this one's less. It's it's all about is there uh, more people getting out of it than there are putting into it. And I think that that would be a basic rule of thumb with all contributions, that more are getting out of it than are putting into it. No politics. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. Let's see, Coco, where are we at? What's our runtime? Uh, probably should tie it off soon. All right, tying it off. So, Sky, I feel, did you feel that? Did you feel that? Did I feel what? The ground, it's getting a little bumpy. Oh man. Uh-oh. I feel like this podcast, yeah, we're going off the rails. We're going off the menu. We're going off menu. Okay. So, we can't call it that, though. <laughs> so, Sky, I have a little bit of a... Non-sequitur. Non-sequitur, but a tie-in question. Okay. So, you believe in reincarnation. I do. What number of life are you on? Mm. Okay. Um, so, this is when I do get into the, little, the mythos a little bit. Um, the uh, uh, they say along the path of enlightenment, you have you, you start remembering your dreams. I can't tell you what what number I am, but I can tell you that I have uh, not your dreams, your past lives. I can tell you that I have remembered some of my past lives, and uh, uh, I don't dream a whole lot. But when I when I do dream, it's typically I am not me, but I know I'm me. Hmm. If that makes sense. Uh, like hmm. if I were looking in the mirror, I'd be a completely different features. I might be a woman. I might be a small child. But I am. But I know I'm I'm me. But I'm not Sky. Uh -huh. you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I've had plenty of dreams like that, and I believe that those dreams are me remembering past lives and things that I did in them. Yeah. Or I just have a really crazy dream imagination. <laughs> you know? I haven't heard m many people talk about um, having dreams when they're not themselves, that they're somebody mm -hmm. else. I, I don't, I, that hasn't been a common thing that I've seen among other people. You know? So uh, I do believe I've had many, many uh, uh, lives. Uh, I do believe too that there's a, a partner soul uh, that that travels along with me huh. um, because everything every single dream that's felt like somebody else's life has had one thing in common Whoa. and that I have me and another person and this other person I always know that they're they're the same person but they're they look different every time you know and we always have a very strong bond the bond changes sometimes we're mother and son sometimes names we're uh, brothers sometimes we're sisters sometimes we're lovers you know there's there's a lot of different bonds that I've seen us share through all these different dreams but there's always a, a partnership soul do you have that person in this life um you know it's hard to know um, I have a, a very close friend of mine who Maybe, um, but it, it's it's hard to know, you know, if that's that's them. Right. Yeah. You know? All right. You got to give a number though. What's the number? But ball, just uh, ballpark. Ballpark. <laughs> closest number. I do think that I'm a very old uh, soul. So um, 
see if uh, at the average human lifespan throughout the entirety of human history is about 50 um, then uh, then a hundred lives would be five no it would be five thousand uh, years yeah I'd, I'd say it's probably somewhere between 100 and 200 wow what do you think Joey for me yeah Oh, but I could be animals too, and they have different mm. lifespans. They say Buddha went through 500 lives before uh, he reached enlightenment. Whoa! You know? Oh, I did. I thought the cap was lower. I thought that the cap's different for everybody. Oh, okay. You know, it's uh, it's however many lives you need to live in order to learn the lessons you need in order to reach. And then once you reach ten. enlightenment, you're good. You go to nirvana. Nope. Got it. Um, That's where Kurt um, is. Which made which you know the the concept of heaven. Um, I always had a hard time with because they say as long as you're a good person you go to heaven I know a lot of good people who could never live together yeah, that, hmm. are, that are generally benevolent and kind people who just have opposing views <laughs> and uh, uh, couldn't live uh, uh, with, with an, each other you know just uh, maybe in heaven they would find out that their opposing views were silly perhaps you know and maybe that's that's the thing but that's what what kind of that's another thing that drew me to buddhism and buddhism says you know we all go through as many lives it takes us so that we reach enlightenment and then go to nirvana which says right there that we all learn to understand something which allows us to all agree in this next life mm. you know and that that kind of makes sense to me i i very much did that too um I'm going to say uh, 11 or 22 because those two numbers have followed me around my entire life. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to say either two or three. And I think the first one went really badly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you heard it here first. Sky is 5,000 years old. I'm approximately 220 or 440, and Cold Cut is like Probably like 47. Like <laughs> <laughs> I was 47. I, I died at like 13 in the first life, and I was a, I don't know, maybe a medium-sized cat. Medium-sized cat. Well, thank you, Sky. This has been a wonderful conversation. Everybody, come visit Sky on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at Jonah's Restaurant near the Red Lion Hotel. The whale is pretty cool. Bellevue, it is a very cool whale. Uh, we're going to come get you Better from more, the outside than the inside. Uh, we're actually just going to go steal all the Bibles from the hotel rooms uh, and to put them on all the tables. Yeah. And then there we go. Thank you very much, Sky. Yeah, my pleasure. Holy cow, Cold Cut. Holy cow. What a conversation. (laughs) I've never talked to anybody who was uh, 100,000 years old before. (laughs) I mean, have we we interviewed many guests where on the ride home after we interview them, (laughs) we keep the conversation going because it was so thought-provoking? That's true. I don't know. I don't think so. I'm very glad we had Sky on. I feel like I'm a more edified and better person after having that conversation. I went into Um, that knowing nothing about Buddhism, and I don't really know if I know more necessarily about Buddhism, but I'm thinking about it. Next time, we got to ask him about bartending. (laughs) I guess we do have to ask him about bartending next time. That's a... he That's, does bartend. He works in a restaurant. We were we were there. But that does accentuate the point that what we were talking about was so fascinating that we forgot all of our bartending questions. Why do you think it is that the service industry tends to attract, I want to say crazy people, but that sounds derogatory. I'm thinking, you know, people who are into some wizard shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like every restaurant has those people who are into all that stuff. Whether it's, uh, you know, witchcraft or Buddhism or uh, crazy drugs or sacrificing babies. Sacrificing babies. That's a bit that's real popular among management. Um, (laughs) But you know what I mean? I feel like the service industry attracts very diverse, wild and interesting people. Why do you think that is? I think that it is that way because you can make the service industry into whatever you want. Hmm. Ultimately, right, it's a cash grab. And I think we've talked about this in very early episodes that none of you have probably heard on the podcast. Effectively, people who do the crazy drugs can afford the crazy drugs without working a lot of hours. So they have a lot of hours to do the crazy drugs. Hmm. Uh, People who are eccentric who might, let's talk in terms of like human frequency, like the energy you get when you interact with somebody. People who enjoy that and who learn from that experience 
dig the service industry because they're constantly learning people better, right? That's engaging and interesting and it's worth their time to, sp- to have a job that engages them with different people. And that's learns. true. I think that's like what Sky would say, right? People he, who are into wild he stuff. He learns different things and different perspectives from interacting with people. Yeah. And when you care about those things and you are eccentric, most eccentric people love explaining to you how eccentric they are, which is pretty much all you do in the service industry. You just kind of go up and talk to people and uh, interest them in uh, who you are and et cetera, et cetera. Especially bartending too. You just get to sit there and talk to people while you make drinks. Well. W-E-L-L. Well. Oh, wait, can you use it in a sentence? Well, I hope this isn't the end of the episode. Uh, I was setting you up for a, well, this has been Shifties. Well, I guess that is the end of the episode. Thank you for listening to Shifties, a podcast about restaurants and the people who work inside them. Uh, I have been Andrew Davies. I have been Joey Rebby. And uh, once more, that was Sky Upchurch. Thanks for being on and enlightening us. Seriously, we'll have you on again soon. Uh, I can't wait to DJ slash MC duo with you. Oh, I, that's one thing I'll add on. Sky and I have been an MC DJ duo for many a show. And uh, if you ever are in the Northwest and you're looking for a duo to just rock your party, hit me up on uh, soundcloud.com slash shifties podcast or Twitter at shifties P uh, Instagram shifties underscore podcast. It's been our privilege and our pleasure to serve you. Party Fish Media.